0: What's up? Welcome back or welcome to the man child podcast. I'm sitting here October. I hope things are going well for you guys. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're soaking it up. I hope you're just every single day right now in October if you live in the Ohio Valley. You've got the heat cranking at six o'clock in the morning. You've got the air conditioning cranking at 4 p.m. You, you, if you're a hunter, it's, it's go time. If you're just a pumpkin spice latte basic dude or girl, this is your time. You can wear your, your Han Solo vests and your knee high boots. And it's just, you know, there's something for everybody this time of year. It's wonderful. I hope you're enjoying yourself. All right. Listen. Before we dive in to this episode, this guest, uh, just a couple few updates. One, if you haven't been keeping up with the written works that Man Child's doing, make sure you check us out on the site, themanchildmedia.com. The newest article is up, why we got to be dropping truth bombs on each other, right? Say what you mean and mean what you say. Uh, core theme is something we believe around here, and if you like it, let's get this stuff. Let's grow it, man. Let's build it up. So, if you like what we're doing, uh, you know it's one extra button. Click share, maybe even a little comment, your endorsement to all your friends, saying, "Hey, check this guy, check this guy out. I like what's going on, man." That goes a long, 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 long way for growing the man-child movement. We really appreciate it. Also, hey guys, we're selling. Shirts. We've got the Struggle Well shirt. We've got the Man Child shirt. It's up. All you got to do is send us a direct message on social media, Facebook or Instagram. We'll give you the Venmo. The Venmo is the Man Child brand or at Man Child brand and we ship it right to you. All right, my J Day, the original Man Child. makes you a handwritten note. He draws you a picture of something that he's into. It might be, uh, here's a weird one for you. He um, kind of took the whole struggle well thing. I'm like, Jay, what are all these lines in front of the guys that you drew? He goes, they're in jail. I'm like, what are you talking about? We can't send that to somebody. Uh, he's like, yeah, they're, they're struggling. They're in jail. And then we had to be like, what are you talking about? You've lost your mind. But... I sent it to my buddy, Jacob, who used to be a prison guard, and I think he thought that was cool. Um, Anyway, listen, we're getting ready to dive into it here, okay? My guest for today is Miles Nolte. Who is he? Why do you care? What do we need to know about? Miles Nolte is the director of the fishing department of Meat Eater. Meat Eater. Like, the Meat Eater podcast, Meat Eater on Netflix, uh, meat eater on the outdoor channel um the site Stephen Renella um, miles has they've they've grown the company and they're having a, a whole separate entity under the umbrella that is meat eater uh, we get into that but guys you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy this okay um, miles was a fishing guide in Alaska for years and years, and now he lives in Montana and works at the Meat Eater headquarters. They've got a new show called The Das Boat. Really cool concept. We get into that. But really, we just got to get into and, and, and some of the stuff that we discuss is why we need to be going outside. Why we need to be doing stuff that's hard. And why we've made things to make us happy so complicated how did we get here? Where do we go from here? Um, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Um, Hi. Those, the, the kids are walking in here, and they're yelling at us, and that's okay. Hey, a couple thank yous before we get started. because um, are going to bed. They got to go to bed, and that's fine. Go to, go to bed. I'll be up there in just a second. Thank you, as always, to Patrick Davis, our engineer, our website coordinator, our best friend, uh, and he is I got a dancer from um Mindy. Got a dancer. Mindy got you a dancer. All right, Nora would like you guys to know that she got a ballerina tonight <laughs> as a little toy, and it's very cool. Thank you to David Lessing, who has wrote and performed. Is it wrote, has written? Christmas and I'm gonna have um that Elsa with the purple and I'm just gonna have the tail dress. Okay, great. Mm, um, she's gonna have a, a Elsa with a dress for Christmas. Nora would like you guys to know that as well. Listen, uh, written and performed the Man Child theme song by David Lessing. Thank you to those people. Thank you to everybody that has. Um, given their time and energy and effort to this thing we're trying to build all right all right here we go let's get started
1: what you know
0: about me? so my guest on the podcast today is miles nolte and i'm really excited about this guy i'm gonna let him kind of take off with it but miles is the director of fishing for the meat eater if you've never heard of it you've been living under a rock they are uh taking the world by storm on uh, netflix youtube network television you've probably heard of steven ranella and his hunting show they're expanding they they have an unbelievable uh show right now called das boat which miles is the brain behind and that's what some of the we're going to discuss miles thank you for being on this podcast
1: absolutely my pleasure thanks for inviting
0: me so i'm happy to be here awesome Give me a little background here. How how did you get to be in Montana? How are you working with Meat Eater? A little bit of uh, for people to kind of get your backstory.
1: Oh man. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna apologize to you and everybody listening right now. Brevity is not my strong suit. I tend to be a little long-winded. That's so okay. uh and I don't have a short answer to either one of those questions. Okay so I'll give you I'll give you as truncated one as I can so we're not drawmorting, but uh, <laughs> I'll give you the info. Uh, so Uh, long story short, I grew up, I grew up in Hawaii and left there when I was a teenager after high school, went to college in Southern California, got the heck out of Southern California as quickly as I could as soon as I got my degree and, uh, traveled a lot, really got traveling bug, lived in Southern Africa for a couple of years teaching, uh, had some great adventures there. It was a very formative time in my early twenties. I was very much intending to continue traveling and living in all kinds of different places and in addition to traveling around the United states at that time so i finished my job in southern africa in botswana to be specific came back home went on like a four-month road trip with a, with a good buddy of mine and uh and and our our intent in that road trip aside from spending as little money as possible was to visit as many breweries as we could and fish as many rivers as we could so we started in southern california went all the way to coastal Maine and all the way back over the course of summer. And in, in, in the course of that, we were both kind of figuring out what our next move were going to be. All
0: right. Let me hold on a second. So yep. there's several things that's like, that's not the normal, narrative for people that are in their teens into their early 20s like that's that's a movie we go see that you've just described <laughs> like, that's just like oh yeah that's of course it's hollywood it's not but you. so first of all you're growing up in hawaii which no yeah. how did that come to be
1: uh you know my both my parents just sort of wound up there in the 70s uh, i guess they had some of the similar travel bug that i did my mom wound up there um she actually got got her parents bribed her in a to Hawaii. Uh, she was, she was a young back in the seventies, a young teacher herself. And she was a, a little white girl teaching on the South side of Chicago and her very conservative white parents weren't very happy about that. Yeah. And my grandfather who was a seminarian for Northwestern seminary, got a one year appointment in Hawaii and Quite literally bragged my mom out of her job on the south side of Chicago by saying, hey, I got you a free place to stay in Hawaii for a year if you want to come. That's so amazing. she went out there then uh, and just kind of never left. And my dad went out there for college after getting kicked out of the previous university he was at. And at least at that time, University of Hawaii didn't exactly have the highest standard. So <laughs> he figured it was a good place for him to go. And yeah. they met, never left.
0: That is – so this wasn't – I think it's really cool when people – you you can see where people get their influences Is like – so when you're like, hey, I'm going to go on these road trips, I'm going to go to Botswana, was this ever like – were they always go or was it no, stop being weird? What was what was their kind of take when you were on this path of things?
1: I think it was a combination of concern and pride. I think both my parents were proud of the fact that I was uh, kind of chasing my own way and interested in doing my own thing. And at least, particularly from my mom's side, also concern about what? Are you kidding me? You're gonna move to Southern Africa? That and what were you like doing, there? How'd you come? I, up- I actually had a job. Um, so the way that that came together, I when I was in college, <clears throat> I wanted to, uh, you know, again, I wanted to travel. I didn't want to do the standard um, sort of study abroad experience where you just spend a bunch of your parents' money to go party in Europe. That that had no appeal to me, and and that wasn't one I couldn't afford it because that wasn't in the budget and two I, I didn't feel like there was much for me there so I found this program that was actually supposed to be in Zimbabwe this was the year 2000 and uh, and uh I was intending to go study abroad in Zimbabwe and like a month before the program was scheduled to go was right when uh Robert Mugabe started stealing farms and, and creating a lot of tension and, and, and battle in the country and, and the economy there collapsed. And this kind of becomes a theme for me. that uh I had to do a last-minute pivot the program, moved to Botswana. So I went there and studied abroad, fell in love with the place, fell in love with people, really did well in the program, uh, and, and flourished there. So when I graduated from high school, they asked me to come on and help the one American that was there on the program helping to facilitate and run it.
0: That is incredible. And, so, and then you're like, all right, what, what wrapped that chapter up? You're like, I'm good, i got to get back. What yeah, I wanted to get back. I'm,
1: I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you, I was 22 years old, and, uh, and I had gone headlong into a very serious job, and, and I was feeling like I got a little serious a little quickly. Gotcha. and wanted to wanted to be a little less serious because the, there was no that, that, that whole life experience I got I, I, I matured an incredible amount. I got a ton of perspective. Uh, I grew up a lot while I was there but I also had this desire to maybe prolong a little my adolescence mm-hmm. somewhat so mm-hmm. and, and I felt like I had got what I needed to out of that experience immediately and I was ready for the next thing. Uh, I wasn't ready to, to be done chasing down adventures, but I was ready for the next thing.
0: So you go on this road trip with your buddy uh and you're, did you did you you said you mentioned you wanted to fish as much as you possibly could you already had the fishing bug where where would that come from
1: Yeah that that has been with me for as long as I can remember day. I I wish I could tell you like a specific genesis for that but I, nobody knows uh, no one no one in my family like in my immediate family was really into fishing um, the story goes that when I was like four, I just came to my mom and told her I wanted to go fishing and she had never been fishing and had never had any interest in fishing and didn't know we really would even come up with this idea. Um, yeah, but I was into it and, uh, and there's actually a picture of me cause she had a friend back then who was living in Bozeman at the time, back in the early eighties. And there's a picture of me. I'm outside of Bozeman standing there with a limited trout
0: and my little jeans
1: and flannel at, like, four and a half years old.
0: That's incredible. It was like a premonition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and it just kind of went from there, man. I was that kid, like, until I discovered girls, the only things I cared about were fishing and
0: baseball. Yeah. Wow. So how did you How do you end up in Alaska?
1: Oh, man, that, that comes much later. But the way that, that happened was I had been living in Montana for a few just fishing my brains out okay and uh i was you know it was it was sort of a realization i had sitting in my crappy apartment one night looking at you know yet another fishing magazine with all these beautiful photos of alaska rainbows and salmon and bears and that whole thing and
0: well there's something interesting there because you I mean, you truly have kind of a wanderlust because there's plenty of people sitting and I can tell you for a fact, there's plenty of people sitting in their bedroom in their crappy apartment in Cincinnati looking at pictures in Montana. And they're like, man, if I could. And so you're like, you're constantly chasing down this next thing. And there's a so there's there's a central theme to how you're able to kind of carve out this kind of lifestyle that I think it's important for people to realize is that. You're just, you're constantly chasing it down. Okay, sorry, cut you off there. But no, you're, So you're seeing no, no, this, and, and Alaska starts kind of getting on your brain.
1: Well, I, I just, I, well, anybody, I think, who has any interest in the outdoors and any interest in fishing, anybody who reads any sort of American outdoor literature understands the iconography that, exact, that Alaska is and it, what it represents. Yeah. And so that, that had always been buried there for me, right? I, I knew what it meant. But in my 20s, when I was really, you know, when I was I was living the bachelor life and, and being a pretty pretty solid fishing bum, mm-hmm. I kind of came to the realization that uh, there was no way I was ever going to be able to afford to go to Alaska, at least not for a very, very long time. Yeah. So the only way that I was going to be able to experience that was if I got a job there. And uh, didn't actually have any contacts, didn't have any knowledge of anybody there, didn't really have any of the, the requisites you might expect. I just started reaching out to folks and uh, spreading around a resume and a cover letter and getting after it and wow. manifested a job.
0: Well, I think, and then we'll get to you You start writing out there and and there's some really, really interesting stuff that you bring to the world about that that world of being a guide and and the other side but and I think one of the main themes of it in in the book, the Alaska Chronicles was about you know this this type of experience only being um feasible for the extremely wealthy you know, and that always bums me out about the outdoor pursuits and it just seems to be getting even more so like how if, if we turn the clock back 200 300 years ago it was just who was fearless that's who gets to go see yeah. these things you know but now it's like if if you don't have if you're not making six figures seven figures these things don't apply to you and you made that realization and you're like the only way i'm going to get to do it is if i'm working there right um so you, you that that that's an interesting conundrum there because you have a job because these people are paying you to take them out. But then there's also a little bit of resentment because of the way they consume the experience. Can you kind of go into that? Yeah. Those? I
1: mean, before we, before I dive into that, cause I think that's a good question. I will say, I think there's always been a little bit, I think we might have a little bit of rose tinted glasses about the history of, of exploration and, and right. wilderness. I think there's always been some aspect like, going way back if you wanted to start an expedition you had to have the seed money to make that happen like there were uh, there were certain times you know and and i think my my favorite example of kind of like in the whatever you want to call it the environmental or outdoor zeitgeist is of this is thoreau who gets held up as this you know champion of outdoor and like the dude came from a huge pencil empire and was like close enough to home the whole time he just happened to have his mom do his laundry like i think oh, i think not we we now. romantic <laughs> yeah we romanticized this stuff and think yeah. like well back it back in the day it wasn't like it is and i think there has always been some privilege involved in being able to to take off and, and go have adventures and even for myself like as much as you know i, I like to, to think that i, I worked hard and, and got a lot of what i did because i was and, and hard work and I also recognize that I didn't come from like extreme poverty I didn't come from extreme wealth but I had supportive parents who were able to help me get an education and, and give me the the confidence or some like people might say arrogance to say like you know right I could probably pull this off yeah. and and that's that's definitely a position of privilege like and I don't argue that I, 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 I recognize what that, how lucky I was to have that um,
0: Well then what do we do with it? Right, if there's plenty of reasons, and there are, to feel disqualified, right, but there is also plenty of reasons to feel this pull towards these types of experiences. I I truly believe that's just on the heart of the human experiences to go and be a part of these places and see these things. But it's only in it, and and, and as you've you know very skillfully pointed out, it's only ever been really. Applicable for, for people of privilege. Wh- what do we do about that? How can we, you know, how do we do something to make, where, because I don't think people value it because it, it doesn't apply to them.
1: No, I think I think you're right, and I think that there are gradations of of that experience, right? I think that I think that just about anybody, I, I, and I'm not going to speak for other people's experience because I, I I can't, right? Like, I, I again. I don't come from like a level of extreme poverty that, that has some, some some issues that go along with it that I, I I don't pretend to understand. Right. But I do think that we, it's it's about <clears throat> being willing to take risks in many ways. And I think it's incumbent upon individuals. Now, if you're like, talking like at a structural level, how do we make the wilderness more accessible? To be perfectly honest, you, this country does that better than anybody else that I know of. So we can point to problems, and and I think it's good to point to problems, but I think we also have to point to the fact that we have a public land system that is the envy of the globe when it comes to people who want to experience anything that has to do with the outdoors. And, you know, even though you you do have to have the capacity to access those places, you have to be able to get there. And that's very, very difficult. I realize if you're growing up in the middle of the city, you don't have any transportation, but comparatively – We have the opportunity with a lot fewer barriers than with with the North American model of conservation and public lands to get out and enjoy our waters and enjoy our backcountry and and get after it in ways that that nobody else does. Like That is such a blessing that we have, and that is something we have to be thankful for and we have to be aware of, and we have to continue to privilege that and fight for those rights because those are, are... it is commonly misunderstood. Those are not guaranteed in the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution that says anything about public lands. We have to continue to fight for that, and we have to continue to maintain those rights, or they can go away. Um, yeah, very, so I'll yeah, say that's that. That's a
0: great point, yeah.
1: But the other thing that I'll say is that, you know, in, in on some levels, it takes some some amount of sacrifice and dedication. When I was in my early 20s, and I, I didn't have any money. I, again, I was lucky enough to have good education, but I didn't have any money. So, I worked for a couple of years and lived very, very frugally and saved up every penny that I had so I could go and do a road trip with a buddy of mine. And we didn't stay in hotels. We slept in the dirt and, you know, went. We we certainly weren't living a luxurious lifestyle, but we spent all our time outside for an entire summer season. And it's doable. Yeah. But it required some forethought, it required some planning, and it required something that, that I'm kind of amazed I was able to do because it wasn't always my best thing in my 20s. It, it required some deferred gratification because I had mm-hmm. to say, I'm not going to go drink beer tonight because I really want to go on this trip.
0: Right, right. So you, you, you get in, then you have some really interesting takes about being a guide. Who do you, on a perfect day, and you get your choice, like what's the type of dude or lady you want in – a boat with you that you're guiding who is that type of person
1: for me and it's I, I really truly believe I spent 15 years as a fishing guide and I think that that there are there's the right kind of guide for every person and the right kind of person for every guide for me uh, you know it's kind of like dating the what I always needed what, or was looking for was someone who was interested in the whole experience okay more not just focused on like how many fish did I catch and what did they measure. Um, I wanted someone who was like who wanted to learn about the ecosystem, who wanted to learn like what bird is that? and what's going on here? I was I was constantly hoping to have someone who was just interested in everything. They wanted to learn about the fishing, about the setup, about what we were using and why, about all the, the puzzles that come together to make fishing interesting to me. And someone who shared that desire to learn was, was my favorite client, my favorite person to spend a day on the river with. And, you know, frankly, someone who knew about something that I didn't know anything about and was willing to, to educate me from from their background and could tell me some interesting stories. So it wasn't on me to, to be entertaining for 10 straight hours.
0: That, uh, was that a very common occurrence of getting somebody like that? No. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't. Okay. So, <laughs> I, I, so vice versa, this leader, who's the person that you're like, I don't care how much you're going to tip me. I'm not getting in that boat with this guy. <laughs> right. I
1: actually, I fired a couple clients, not very many, but I did fire a couple clients over the, over the course. He was like, you can't do it. It's tough as a young guy because you're strapping for every trip. Right. But you reach a point where you have enough repeat business and you know that those days are going to get booked and you have someone that is just miserable and, and. You know, I never
0: How do you I have that I conversation
1: have, and so i I am not as per, perhaps as bold as some of my friends I definitely have guy friends who like will stop in the middle of the day and go all right you know they're two hours in a day and there, there's a ramp right here we're done I've never done that wow. um, but I have friends who have what I would do it was we'd get to the end of the day and I'd say you know, and it would be weird, man. Like I can't tell you how many times this happened. It was clear that we didn't get along. It was clear that we didn't have fun or have a good day. <laughs> and they get get done at the end of the day, and be like, so well, let me get your card so I can book you for the next trip. And I just say, no, I think you're probably better off with a different guide. Appreciate it, but uh, you know, best of luck to you. Oh my and- gosh. Those were those tended to be folks who were, who, who felt particularly entitled, yeah. and uh, yeah. and and who didn't respect the resource and the experience, and and felt like they were paying for fish, not paying for an opportunity to be out on the water, and and trying to chase fish.
0: Yeah. Yes. All right. So I'm starting to see. That it makes total sense. The alignment and partnership that you now have with Meat Eater, because to be honest with you uh I'm late to the party with the outdoor pursuits right like very, I'm I'm 31 years old and I'm probably in the last couple of years just now like really getting into stuff because the only and this is why I got drawn into watching the show and and reading and and seeing what you guys were doing because you had a different take on it it was exactly what you just described as the type of client you want is it, you're there for the whole thing you the whole experience where we are the landscape the scenery the people the other th- parts of the ecosystem that are there and the philosophy of why we as humans need to be out here and i and listening whether it's 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 the hunting portion of it the, this those discussions that's why i watched the show and so it was never about like look at the, look at the rack on that buck you know, <laughs> I don't care I never have cared right and I and I felt intimidated cuz I'm like am I supposed to care like I I'll tell you right now right I don't know how to score uh, a <laughs> boon and cry. I don't know but I yeah. but like I refuse to apologize for liking it as much as anybody else does is is basically Nor should you. you know so where did that come from to where you're like I I, I This is what I get from this experience. It's not just about, you know, super fat brown trout and rainbows and all this sort of stuff. It's it's the it's the the ideology behind this and how it makes us better people to be out here. When did that? Did you always have that? Was that a, a learned experience? Where'd that come from?
1: I can't point to like a crystallizing moment where I went. I have now seen the light. You know, I. And, and I'm also not going to pretend like I don't get excited when I catch a big fish or no I see a big elk or whatever. Like, I, I have that. I certainly still have that that shot of adrenaline when those things happen to me, and that's fun. Mm-hmm. But I also think that we diminish, and I don't. again, I wish I could say this happened at this exact point. I don't know. I think it's always been sort of my philosophy on it for me just being out in the pursuit is very very fulfilling, and then I also get the excitement about catching fish or or, or, or stalking an animal on top of that. But I, what I've seen over my career in in media, and <clears throat> to be to be clear, like I've been in fishing media for I think I published my first piece in two thousand and five oh, wow. or six 2006. I can't remember, but I you know I started freelance writing. A long time ago and and then you know wrote for a bunch of different magazines freelance i wrote the alaska chronicles i then became the, the fishing editor for gray's sporting journal a, a job that i was really proud to have and that i got to hold for the past seven years mm-hmm. and also that entire time um you know during during all of that i was i was teaching at montana state university and i was running a guide service and so i very much enmeshed in this outdoor media culture and world. And I could see some of the drawbacks and the negative aspects, oftentimes from my clients, of what we were doing with that media to portray it so one-dimensionally. And when it became all about just holding up the big, giant brown trout,
0: So you I started saw...
1: noticing people coming just like oh, that. I, I saw this in magazines. This is what this is all about this is oh, why I'm here wow. and recognizing like we're doing that. Like we are responsible for that. At we, least partially. we
0: created that culture. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So <laughs> then you're like, well then that is kind of a aha moment. So then you're like, we got to, we need to educate people about more than this thing. Right. Because if you don't know, and this is your first time in Alaska or whatever, you're going to, you're going to try to emulate and, and replicate what you've seen. And that's, everything that the media has portrayed you said one-dimensional what do you mean by that one dimensional
1: there are so many different layers to the experience that you have when you're going fishing or you're going hunting or you're going hiking i don't don't care what you're doing when you are having an intimate interaction and an intimate and personal interaction with an outdoor space Mm -hmm. there's there's so much to be gained there both internally and externally you're going to learn about yourself particularly if you're doing something difficult you're going to be challenged physically and mentally, sometimes emotionally. You're going to have to go through all of those, and that, that's a very much an internal journey that I think you need to be aware of and open to if you're going to get everything out of that experience. There's also all the external. There, there are birds you have never seen before that you want to right. figure out. There are grasses and plants and trees and whatever. There, there's so much. There are so many different stimuli out there that you can investigate, and then. There's the excuse for all this, whatever you want to call it. The impetus is that I'm hunting or I'm fishing or I have this one goal, right? But if that one goal is all that you're doing, you're missing out
0: for sure. And if you're doing things, in my opinion, that uh negate or, or you, you get rid of some of that hardship, some of the struggle, if you make if it, if you're doing the thing to get the product faster and you're you're kind of sidestepping or skipping to the front of the line and skipping some of that struggle period then you're missing out i really believe that you know i do too
1: i do too and and let me tell you that is the job of a fishing guide 90 percent of the time is to flatten out the learning curve of something really 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 hard
0: yeah well that's the only reason that and i've i've spent some money now on some on some guides. And it wasn't because I'm like, Oh man, I just want to see how much fish I can catch and blah, blah, blah. It was just, I need someone to tell me why I suck so bad because this is going to go on forever. <laughs> if someone doesn't tell me what I'm doing wrong, I'm going to lose my mind because I think, I think that's and I, and, and we can get into this a little bit. In a moment, which is why there's way too much. I have to get out of my own way when I go do this stuff because the first question I'm asking is, Am I good at this? Am I doing this right? You know, and I like want a professional behind me being like, Yeah, that's it. No, that's not it. That's not. And I'm learning that that's not the point. It's really not the point, but it's going to be a lot more fun as I get to get better at this thing but if the only reason I'm doing this is to try to add value to my whatever reputation, this is this your Instagram is, account, right? This is gross, you know? And I, and I feel especially I was in new Smyrna beach, Florida at a fly shop. And he said, every single fly rod that we sell now, like expensive rigs, we do not sell a fly rod to anyone under the age or over the age of 26. And I'm like, what's up up with that he's like dude instagram has made the flats ninja so cool that (laughs) these dudes are coming in here and they want the baddest you know sims outfit and then they want to go chase fish and they want to put it on instagram and then they want to start a war with anybody that's not doing it as cool as them and i'm like i'm out You know, like I want to do all of that. That sounds really cool, except for that part. And I weigh in on that. Are we in an interesting era of whatever you want to call it, exploration, hunting, fishing, because there is this now this medium that can put us out there as making us the hero? right it's it's like it's like it's like instant portraiture right if you were a rockefeller and you wanted a portrait of yourself put up in the main dining room to show how you know impactful you were on your society you can do that now with your instagram page right and so i think it's getting very competitive to see how cool you are out in the woods or on the water and i think it's dangerous. oh
1: yeah i think I, I i agree i think that there's again i think there's some aspect of it has always been thus. Um, it's just more available. It's, it's like what, what social media has done for everybody. You don't have to be a professional photographer or a professional writer to, you know, publish your own lore. Like you, you had to be a generation ago, right? You, you, you skip the middleman, you can go straight to it. And, and I can, you know, there's a strong part of me coming from my own writing background that wants to jump in and be like, and that skips the whole point because, you know, yes. people don't have to learn how learn a craft anymore to, to be able to be out front, but that's not the conversation we're having. Um, I think it is a double-edged sword. I personally have a – I'm not a fan of social media in terms of my own consumption of it, mm-hmm. not because I have any judgment of it, but because every time in my life when I have spent much time on social media, like if I spend an hour – on Instagram or Facebook, I come out of it feeling like I've just eaten three cupcakes and I, I, am like, like I I feel less nourished. And that is, that that is, those are calories that I've ingested or that is time I have spent that I'll never get back again without getting anything out of it. And so I, I don't, to me, it's not fulfilling, right? It's not something that brings me pleasure or brings me joy. And I think a lot of people go back to it in, sort of compulsively because yeah. those algorithms are really well designed to, to keep coming back and keep scrolling keep going. They're yeah. brilliant. And I take nothing away from that, but it's very similar to the impact that refined sugar has on me personally, where I'm like, I just did that because I couldn't stop. And now I feel terrible. I wish I had not <laughs> yeah. done that.
0: Yeah. Interesting.
1: Having said that, you know, anything that gets people more like I'm truly 100%. And this is part of why I'm a mediator believe that one of the few spaces we have left in this culture where we can find common ground and dialogue is in the fact that we love our lands and our waters and our wildlife and our experiences there, and right. we we should be able to let go of all the other bullshit or at least set it aside for a moment yeah. and recognize the importance of all of these things and have dialogue, which is something we are sorely lacking in doing pretty much everywhere else, right? And so if, if I, I see... Fishing, I think, is a great example. I think hunting is a great example. I see these as gateway drugs to giving a shit about our country's, some of our country's greatest resources, which yeah. happen to be our wilderness and our wildlife. And if if you get there through Instagram, good on you. I'm not, you know, that yeah. that's not how I got there. And, and but I'm not, I'm not one to judge. If that leads you down a path of spending more time outdoors and getting involved and getting engaged, and then putting your hands into all of the attendant issues that come along with caring about our wilderness and our waters, then it's a great thing.
0: Mm. Man, well said. <laughs> uh, so, take, so then, it's interesting that the take you you have on social media and you—that's kind of what you do for a living—is you know the media arts with this stuff. Um, but that you're exactly right. Is rarely do you go and spend some time on social media and consume and feel good about anything after you get off of it. You just, it just happened and you wish you'd rather it have not, but you couldn't stop. I'm I'm with you a hundred percent on that. So Das boat. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, and that's where I'll draw a line, right? I think there's a difference between social media. Like, I think there is that not all media are created equal. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would like to, and i again, I have nothing against social media and I'm not saying that that is everyone's experience. That's my experience. Right. But when I read like a really good book, mm-hmm. I don't come out of it feeling like, damn, I just wasted those hours. I come out of it feeling like I've been enriched. Yes. And I have gotten something out of it, and I'm I'm thinking about things in ways I haven't before. That has yeah. never happened to me on social media, <laughs> so that's the reason why I put that in that category for myself. Yeah. Um, and I hope that over the course of my career, I have created, you know, as a writer and and producer of various film projects, I I, I want to think that I've created things that people have have gone through and read and experienced and come out the other side feeling like that was time well spent and like they got something meaningful out of it. Well, That's
0: my hope. Well, uh, I completely agree because when I'm, I can feel that I'm, I'm learning something or I'm getting something out of this, or this is challenging me. It's like, I don't want it to be over, but a lot of suggestions that I get from people are like, Oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't, it shouldn't be that long or, or that article. You're, <laughs> it, it's, it, it, I really think that the, the scrolling, whatever that we're in right now it's shortening our attention spans to where we can't even enjoy something that is we do enjoy it but we can't even pay attention to it that long and I think sometimes these 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 works are suffering and I wish we could get back to you know to me you know the the movie is still king like going and see the full-on feature is awesome and all the things that had to put together with that like I understand that a one-minute video of a cat falling off something has, you know, 500 million views, right? Because it doesn't take that much of your time. But you don't get anything out of it. You don't walk out of that something, a different person. Um, So where did this come from, This the the DOS boat idea, all of this? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, so this this fits into a lot of the conversation you were just having, right? Because I come from kind of a long-form print media background um i wrote my column for Graves for years and that was 1500 words and it was there's a difference between how you engage and i'll get to in a second, but this does connect there's a difference between how you you engage with something that you hold in your hands like tactile like if you've bought a magazine you're committed or a book you're gonna read it even if like the the headline of one of those articles doesn't necessarily grab you immediately. like well I'm here, you know, I'm I'm on the can or whatever. I'll I'll see what this is all about. You might get into something really great that you hadn't thought of when you're on a website and you have the ability to just bail out of something so easily and have so many options at your fingertips. It's a different media landscape. So I was hired on here in February to take over uh, as director of fishing and try and create a fishing presence immediately because Media's done such a great job with hunting and Stephen Rennell and all the crew here have brought that as you, point out that different ethos to hunting media and i was pumped to be able to do fishing in a similar vein um i could not have thought of a better opportunity for myself so i did that and then i came on and i had to learn about that digital landscape because i initially was was started out trying to work on our website because you know we have this whole website where we're posting multiple articles a day and we want people to come and read them and pay attention and we think we have substance there we are chasing down what we think of as interesting, meaningful stories that have to do with hunting and fishing and cooking and conservation. Um, but I, I very quickly learned that people interact with work differently on the screen than they do on the page. And I'm still trying to figure that out because, again, it was only February. Right. But um, I also needed some way to bring in a big fishing audience and announce to fishermen who may, maybe don't consider themselves hunters and aren't following me to do, like, hey, we're a bigger company now, and we're doing really cool fishing yeah. stuff. You should come check us out. And so I, I we needed a flagship mm-hmm. property for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, I was at work. It was I was chatting with with Cal and some of the folks. Uh, I think it was in like April, and we were actually we were trying to think about what our next big thing was, and we brought up. Um, a regular feature in the Drake magazine, which I don't know if you're familiar with that or if you're oh, listening yeah. our, you should check it out. Oh, I wrote for the Drake for many, many years and they have the ride with Clyde feature.
0: Yes. And, uh, yes,
1: you Love know, that. I personally have taken Clyde on a few different trips and, and, and oh, gotten, awesome. uh, had a few different in- interactions with law enforcement and Clyde that are a totally separate story. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I thought, man, that is such a good idea. It's so iconic. It's so recognizable. Like that is the thing. You need something along those lines. And we're like, well, what about a boat? And that just got our, our wheels spinning, right? And, and well, okay, how do we do this? What does that look like? Yeah. What are the things that we want to promote? What are the things that we want to show? And I don't know about you, but for me and for a lot of the, the people I know, we many of us got our first opportunity to sort of step off of land. Like when you're a kid fishing, that barrier of being like, I know the fish are out there yeah i am stuck here yes. and how do i get there and like you, you plot and you scheme and you try and figure it out and then eventually you get an old crappy aluminum boat yep. and that is your first portal to this whole new world and so we all have the or not all of us but many of us have these associations with them and we don't really dig into this in the show but the other thing for me, I think the aluminum boat industry in this country is such a cool story and one that I would love to tell at some point. Uh-huh. But, you know, all of that came out of post-World War II. There were all these aluminum fabricators all over the country who had been working on different projects for the government, building planes, and building boats, and had all of this technology that they developed for wartime. And then the war was over, and all these people were like, what am I going to do? We have an opportunity, like we're done with the war. It's the American dream. What are we going to do? We are going to start building boats. Fair, and baby. all of these little aluminum boat shops sprung up yeah. after World War II all over the country. And that's why you look around now and if you go on Craigslist, you see this proliferation of boats that go back to the 40s. yeah, Because of all these little manufacturers that were everywhere. And and so to me, that those boats are representative of so much more. Like they're... They are they're metaphors for, like, the American dream and freedom and getting out of the water and all the things that we love about hunting and fishing. Um, okay. So I wanted to take one of those boats and give it a story.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what's really cool about it is is it, it kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek sort of winks at people that say, like, oh, you can't chase redfish in an aluminum boat it makes too much noise and, and then like well you know I just watched JT Van Zandt and and <laughs> Steve Renelli just go do it so what do you talk and, and so what I, I got excited watching it because like I'm at a, I, I got a wife I got two kids I'm a teacher right now like me going to buy uh, a Hell's Bay whatever is not a reaction. It ain't happening, man. But you know what? Nope. This Craigslist deal, like I could I could do that. I could get me out there. And like suddenly it like felt it it, you know, you stopped trying to just be like, well, you know, if I had that and I'm like, man, I think I could do this. And so I got excited about it. And instead of making everybody feel bad about lesser equipment and instead you guys kind of celebrated it. And I really like enjoyed and appreciated that aspect of what you did there
1: yeah man i I appreciate that and that was you know we wanted to do that we wanted to feel inclusive it was also really important to us that we focused on on all public water that Mm -hmm. anybody can get out to we this this is not the show that you go to if you want to see people catch the biggest gnarliest fish on the planet like that's out there that's already been done
0: yes
1: um and and to be fair, there were times in my life where I was part of the media that was chasing that out and going to the furthest corner of the earth after the craziest thing. But I, I, I got frustrated with that some years ago, and continue to be only in the sense that how many of us are going to go to French Guiana to go fishing? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Very few. Yeah. Very few. And, and there are so many cool fisheries that need that can be and should be celebrated and given that same level of artistry and treatment right here at home. So that was very much uh, an intention that we had setting out with this. And uh, and we also wanted to, to bring, you know, there's such a weird taboo thing about food and fishing and the, the catch and release as a movement yeah. has done so many good things for our resources. And when it became, a thing, when it became important a couple generations ago, we needed it, right? Our, our native fish stocks were crashing. We needed to implement regulations. We needed to implement bag limits. We needed people to stop killing every fish they caught because we could not sustain that level of harvest. But it also, that pendulum swung too far. Uh, and And it got to be like gospel where we took food acquisition out of fishing for a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. And to me, that's a shame. Right, I I love fish and I like to feed myself and feed my family. I want to do it ethically. I want to do it responsibly and I want to do it thoughtfully. But that doesn't mean that you never keep a fish. Right, that's not how that works. Right, those those binaries, those black and white dogmas of keeping all fish is bad. Just that that's not how it works. That's not being thoughtful. That's no. not looking at the whole picture. There are certain fisheries in certain places where it's totally acceptable and even very reasonable and sometimes in some places a good thing to keep some fish out of that population other places that's not the case you you have to educate yourself about where you are and what is appropriate for that fishery
0: yes well and i another thing and i'll just keep adding on the compliments. another thing i feel like that the episodes of Das Boat has done is it's like, all right, everybody just chill out, okay? We're, we're supposed to be doing this for a couple of reasons. One is it's fun, and two is it's a very natural way to go get a meal that's not like full of chemicals that's gonna eventually all kill us. So that the, you, you've just, you've kind of called out, not on purpose, but uh, very effectively, everybody that's taken themselves way, it's like, Fishing can very quickly become every reason why I hate golf because of the way people, <laughs> right, the way people behave on that. And Jay, oh, yeah. Vance oh yeah. said it in the episode. He's like, if you're, if you're going past a dive bar and there's nothing but technical polling skiffs in the parking lot, don't go in there. There's Keep going. going. Yeah, there is no fun to be had with those people. So, people that – why are we taking this so serious? But then also, you are saying this – you are sad and, you, and we are we, I, I don't know, th- things seem to be better than they've ever been in this country, but we've never been more depressed, and it has to be because we're comparing ourselves, and we're, with everything that we do, and the, the pursuits are, are no different, and you're saying there can be s- the best afternoon you've had in a long, long time can be had in a river in your town, is basically yep. what you're telling people.
1: Pretty much everybody in this country, and this is I'm not this is not hundred percent true, but the vast majority of people in this country live within a half an hour of a place they can go facing. Yep. And and that to me is such an incredible gift that we have and an incredible opportunity. That doesn't mean it's easy, right? I get it. There are barriers to entry. People are like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do it. Yep, you don't. Exactly. Figure it out. Go go out there and and fail and and now mess pushing. up and 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 have some some tough days but learn something every time um in one of the episodes one of the guys that we have on this this show is a, is a gentleman named Oliver nye yeah and he's an incredible bachelor he's an incredible fisherman the dude is like a savant when it comes to uh conventional tackle fishing in and freshwater and even in saltwater he's just, he's just so thoughtful and so smart but his origin story as a fisherman is one of my favorite parts of the series because to me it represents everything that we're trying to show right he was like this young kid growing up in in la like like bright in la yeah as urban as it gets and he's at like a he's 10 years old at a birthday party at a local park and running around and there there's a lake there and he sees people fishing. He's like, oh, I'm interested in that. And he finds some old rotten with some old rotten smelled hooks in the dirt. Huh. Wheels start turning. So he goes and finds a stick. He ties the old rotten line to the stick. And then he goes and digs up a worm. He finds a worm. And he sees some people standing on a pier fishing. So he walks out there and drops his line. in. And, you know, ultimately something bites it. And he just kind of yanks back. And, and of course, it's old rotten line. It all breaks off. But that was this moment of genesis for him where he went, oh, man that's amazing and now the dude like has made a life out of it and a a pretty good one and that is to me what what is possible there if you're willing to put yourself out and make mistakes and be smart and learn and keep going
0: if you're willing to struggle and because we're in a very dangerous thing and i think because just not to just keep beating a dead horse here but just when you when you push all the clutter out of the picture and you only take the really pretty thing nobody ever we don't put into anybody's minds that um, moments ago I sucked at this and then I took this picture and everybody thinks man he's excellent at it why can't I be like that guy I'm the worst and so we tell ourselves the story that if it's hard it means I'm not good at it and it means no you've just never done it like you need to do more of that poorly to get better Right, and 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 things to become more valuable to us when they cost us a lot of time and effort and struggle and strain, and we don't value things the way we used to because they were t- they're too easy to get, you know. Yep, I think
1: I think that's right, and I think that sort of goes back to you know, a previous part of the conversation with guiding, where I saw people what I would consider really undervaluing some of the fish they caught because. Yeah. They didn't, they happened to be holding the rod, but I caught them, right? Like, I <laughs>
0: yeah. I, oh, that, I did everything. That, can, that make convicts that me. <laughs> no,
1: and I don't mean that in terms of a conviction or indictment, not even to those no, people. No, but you're right. I know right? exactly what you're saying. <laughs> but, but, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that experience. And, and I have been in that situation before, right? Like, I certainly have gone to lots of places where I would not have had a clue of where to go find fish if not for someone taking me there and showing me, like, there over here, but right that I what what you you wind up with when you just see an image of a person holding a big fish is you strip away the context, and that mm-hmm. to me is one of the problems with um, with very rapid media that we can, when done well, having longer form media is the opportunity for context and self reflection. If mm-hmm. all I see is someone holding up a big giant buck or a big giant fish, I have no idea what went into that, and. I have no idea what sense of satisfaction they actually got out of that. And I can say for a fact, hundred percent that I have been fishing with people who've caught much, what we would call lesser fish in air quotes, than some other folks who caught much greater fish who earned a vastly more significant sense of satisfaction out of that fish because of what they learned and what they did. And I think you're to your point, it may look cool, but it may feel pretty empty to the folks who do it if you just kind of jump the line and pay the money. And here's my big guy success story. Yes, and 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 that is applicable to so many different things in our culture.
0: Well, the it reminds me of a story is when I was I was working at uh, Marshall University in West Virginia, and there was a lake near my house, and I so I went and I bought. I was like, I want to do this the hardest way I can think of. And so, <laughs> it's stupid, but I really thought of it like that. So I went and I bought a paddle board from Dick's Sporting Goods, a foam paddle board, and a fly rod. And I'm like, I'm going to go bass fishing. And so, paddle out, have no idea where, the, I don't know anything. I don't know about structure. I don't know about the type of flies I'm supposed to be throwing. And it was like, I, and I lived there for three years. The, the first summer, like literally nothing. Like, I caught nothing. I was like, there's nothing in this lake. And then there's people pulling out these monsters and all this stuff. I'm like, it's just like, I was, it was awful. And then I felt something pull back from under this tree on the fly, on a paddle board. And I pulled it. And it was, the, it was the most, it was a joke of a bass. Like, it was the littlest, just worst thing. It was the most fun I've ever had catching a fish was because, Absolutely. like, I put in all that effort to go do that. And I mean, I, I didn't do anything with it. I put it right back and it lived and all that sort of stuff, but there was something to be had about being the one that was the, that I put myself on that fish and somebody instead of somebody else doing that. And I think that that's important. It's an important experience.
1: It, it is. And, and I, I don't want to come off sounding like I'm inviting the, the, the guiding issues. I'm not, and I'll be clear when I got like three days to go somewhere and I've flown to Florida or whatever, someplace to go fishing. I'm, it's not. It's not for work. It's just me. I'll usually hire a guide the first day. To be like, "Hey, man, right. yes. I've had both. Sure. Could you get me dialed in? Like, I don't really care what we get today, but I want to be able to do this myself the next couple of days. Can you help me get me dialed in and give me some some things to think about so that I can help to have a couple of days to figure this out on my own? Yeah. And and there, that is, I don't see anything wrong with that uh, at all. And, and even for the, you know, I have many clients over the years who like. They don't have that time. They have dedicated themselves to their careers and their families to the point where they get to fish two days a year. Right. And they, they want to see the control of all that decision-making to someone else so they can relax. Cool. Fine. I get that. Those are, those are people who push themselves every single day to out of their comfort zone to be successful in whatever pursuit pursuit it is they do. Mm -hmm. I think you come to fishing and hunting for different reasons to get what you need. But for me, I think that there is an opportunity to these things to learn and to challenge yourself that is valuable. And if you choose to take it that way, can have some applicable uh, life lessons outside of that. And that's that's as far as I want to go because I think it's really easy to start saying, like, well, the way I do it, carrying somebody else, the way somebody else does it. I'm, and that's really what I'm trying to avoid. Like, right. these are my observations. This is the way that I approach this. Hopefully, it resonates with you as an audience. Mm-hmm. And you can get something out of it. Mm-hmm. But my, my goal is not to tell you how to enjoy your time outside. Just to tell you that you should get out there and have experiences.
0: Yeah. Well, that, with, with the few minutes we got left here, there is, you can literally, you can do anything you want to do anymore. You can go to Vegas and you can have the weirdest, time, weirdest 48 hours <laughs> of your entire life, right? But yes. to me, it is still nothing can compare to going out to some wild place and being in it and experiencing something and if and if it does come through to where you 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 take something or you harvest something or you 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 hunt something down or you stalk something or you or you get a fish like why does that still resonate with us as as where we're at in the human experience why is that still such a powerful experience why do you think I'm-
1: I mean, <laughs> evolution is a very long process and modernity is a very short window. So I think we have developed these these very, very chemical, primal responses to situations that, that have come around for a long time and are very hardwired. And those aren't going to go away in a few short generations in a couple hundred years. Yeah. Um, that's... and i don't know i don't claim to have an answer on this i am completely speaking off the top of my head and from my own personal opinion but that that to me makes the most sense it took a very long time for us to to develop the drive and the capacity and the like the sense of deep accomplishment of like i have just harvested this we are going to survive like that's that's a very real experience and it the ability to just be like, hey, I want a burrito. Let's go down the street. That's very, very recent. Yeah,
0: you right.
1: Our, right. Our, our, our chemical structures have not caught up to that. Like, our neurological structures have not adapted to that. So that's my opinion on that. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no more sense of joy. Like, I am – so to give some context, my wife and I have a, a 10-month-old right now. Mm-hmm. It's been quite the year. And Boy this is my weekend – Boy, okay. This is my weekend to go elk hunting, and I with a, with a bow, and I'm a terrible novice yeah. bow hunter because for the past decade plus, elk bow season has been still fishing guide season, and this yeah. is the first year in 15 yeah. years I haven't been guiding full time, so I I never got to do it, and now like I'm gonna go out in the woods with two of my best buddies, and I'm gonna be terrible, yes. and I am almost guaranteed not gonna harvest anything, and I could not be more excited about <laughs> right. it, like. Best case scenario, I help one of my best friends, like I get to throw a hundred pounds of meat on my back several times and walk through like a death march of down lodgepole pole and like seriously steep inclines. And that is the thing that I, I hope to happen the most out of all this, yeah. right? That's what I want to do.
0: And that sounds um, insane to say out loud that you're looking forward to that, but you are, you are sincerely, sincerely, genuinely are, but
1: I'm so excited about it.
0: Yeah. Why? Why are we so excited about that?
1: Because it is so immediate. There are no like layers that you have to figure out. This isn't the kind of thing where you have to be like, well, once I send this email and so-and-so gets it and then maybe this other thing will happen and that will advance my career in this esoteric way that I don't really get. This <laughs> yeah. is like, I need to get up to the top of that mountain there and find that animal. And then I need to turn that animal into meat that I'm going to eat and I need to carry it back home. Like Those are very simple goals. They're not easy. But they're very apprehensible goals.
0: Yeah. Man, you're right. Gosh, you're you're exactly right. We've made we've made it way too complicated. We've made it way too complicated <laughs> to be happy.
1: We live in a really complicated society, and there are there are great benefits to that. But there's also something to be said for like very, very simple pleasures that, that as you said, they're not easy, but there's nothing complicated about it. I want meat. Meat comes from that thing. That thing is in that place that's hard to get to. Let's go do
0: it. (laughs) Let's go do it, man. Oh, and bring along people you really want to be around with, and it's just the best thing ever. Well, um, I cannot tell you how thankful I am for you and your time and your insights and the work you're doing. Really, seriously, seriously, do not. Please don't look at it as just like, oh, we're having fun. You guys are doing something that is important, Um, not just from a conservation standpoint, but – uh, from a from an inspirational standpoint of people that that uh, you know, from my neck of the woods, consider themselves that that life is not possible for them, and it kind of opens up the storyline to where maybe it is. So thank you for that, for real. Oh
1: well, thank you for paying attention and to everybody who's following us. There's going to be a lot more coming from uh, from this crew over here. There are a lot of smart, capable people, and uh, you know, meat eater will also always continue to be. I think. Stephen Rennell and his show, but we're, we're growing a whole other group of really talented folks up around it who are going to be doing really cool things. So I hope everybody just kind of stays tuned and checks in and, and, you know, take a look at the website, see what we're writing, see if it resonates with you, take a look at the media we're putting out, and know that there's a lot more
0: coming. Absolutely. Somebody, whoever, like I said, if you've been living under a rock, what is the website address?
1: It is meateater.com.
0: Okay. And they can consume and the show, Das Boat, can be watched right there. It can be
1: right there. We have a new show that's just dropping called the back 40. Uh, we bought a white tail. We bought a farm in Michigan and we're trying to convert it into a white tail property over the next couple of years, uh, which is going to be quite a debacle. Um, you know, I'll just tell you the the first episodes out, there are no deer on the property at this and We're trying to turn it into a deer property. So (laughs) we'll see how that goes. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and, and it's going to be a similar kind of thing. So, We we have a lot of smart people doing a lot of really good ideas that are not